Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Take it away, the Paul McCartney podcast. We're discussing Ram, part one of two. Welcome back to Take It Away, the Paul McCartney podcast. I'm here with Chris Mercer, and we are discussing Paul and Linda McCartney's Ram. Yeah, possibly one of Paul's greatest albums. There has been a consensus that has emerged in recent years around Ram as one of Paul's greatest albums right up there with Band on the Run. Certainly one of my favorites, if not my favorite. It's definitely one of my favorites, if not my favorite as well, Chris. And this album... Like McCartney, another album kind of born in turmoil. The Beatles at this time had grown sick of being Paul's sidemen. John had been known at this time to call Paul all form and no substance. Ouch, that hurts. And And Paul was taking it very hard. Yeah, very, very hard. So hard, in fact, partly because he actually had to sue the other Beatles to gain control of the Beatles' money. And on February 18th, 1971, Paul filed a writ in the Chancery Division of the High Court calling for the disillusion of the Beatles' partnership. Paul had to show up to court wearing actually the Tommy Nutter-designed Abbey Road suit (laughs) that everyone knows him so famously for. You know, no shoes across the crosswalk. I guess with shoes, though, in court. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. And Paul made the case with his lawyer, David Hurst, that uh, Klein had done bad business for three main points. The first, Klein had tried to delay the release of McCartney, which was a breach of the Beatles' partnership agreement with him. Uh, two, ABKCO, which was Klein's company, altered the long and winding road uh, without Paul's permission, as you know, we know, the strings and the female voices from Phil Spector. You know, the version on Naked really is very nice on Let It Be Naked. I agree with you. Yeah, the stripped down version is very nice. It turns out to be a very modest uh, little song. It definitely changed it. I, I don't know if Paul's right or wrong about that decision. I'm glad we have both versions, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and while well, the third also deals with Get Back, Let It Be, ABKCO transferred the rights of the Let It Be film from Apple to United Artists for the release. So he had this big court case up against him. And, you know, we don't have to get into the details of all of this, the numbers and that. But they ended up finding Klein guilty because he had taken too much money during a deal with, uh, there was like a royalty advance with capital and his percent changed. And instead of asking for the amount of money he was supposed to get, he asked for too much. And the court 
found Paul to be in the right and Klein to be in the wrong. Paul won and the Beatles were done. And actually, I had just I just read this and I found it so fascinating that once this case had come to a close, George, Ringo, and John got into John's Rolls Royce. They drove to Cavendish and they threw two bricks through his windows. It's hard to picture, isn't it? Just reduced to, you know, teenage vandalism, basically. It's almost out of a cartoon or some kind of melodrama. And so all this resentment was building up. Paul wasn't getting acknowledged for trying to save the money. He was just seen as this sort of demonic or devilish figure to the public. So what he does, he goes, he jumps back to Scotland, May through August, and he is just writing music. We found online a list of 29 demos that Paul wrote during this period. This list is credible, right? Because this was unearthed by EMI as part of the archive process. That's correct. It hasn't been released to the public. The actual music hasn't, but this list seems to be a a credible list. Let me just run down this list before we even get into the the actual Ram album. Heart of the Mm -hmm. Country, Too Many People, Why Am I Crying, which is uh, the 4th of July, the John Christie song, Backseat of My Car, Just Another Day, Gypsy Get Around, which is Uncle Albert, etc., Ram On, Rupert, Sunshine Sometime, the guitar song instrumental that ended up being the Kanye West All Day song that was released in 2015, Little Lamb Dragonfly, Smile Away, Love Is Long, Eat It Home, Monkberry Moon Delight, Get On The Right Thing, Red Rose Speedway, Little Woman Love, Country Dreamer, Long Haired Lady, I Lie Around, Three Legs, We're So Sorry, which is We're So Sorry, Uncle Albert, the chorus, A Love For You, She Can't Be Found, which is Hey Diddle, Some People Never Know, Hands Across the Water, Tomorrow, Big Barn Bed, Great Day, released on Flaming Pie, and then I Am Your Singer. It's hard to believe. Yeah. That's material that shows up on, what, at least four different albums? And some of it shows up as B-sides. Pretty much all of side two of Wings Wildlife in that list, right? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So So half of an album (laughs) right there. (laughs) We're talking multiple albums, and you're talking about material that wasn't even properly released until this year, the year we're recording this, from one summer. By the way, Ryan, the uh, the version of Fourth of July, the demo that we hear on the Venus and Mars archive, is that this? Is that from that 1970 tape, do you think? I unfortunately didn't do enough research on that. But well, it's not, it's not even about that. I did do the research. I looked at the archive, and there's no date listed there for that demo. For all intents and purposes, then, maybe we need to just assume that that's it, since Paul yeah. is sort of doing a lot of date swapping with these and he, archive releases. He is, he's singing in that very sweet, very high, almost syrupy voice that he uses, like on the a Goodbye demo, for example, the just beautiful, quiet, high voice that he does. He's singing in exactly that style on that Fourth of July demo. Yes. It's a high output, high quality period that lasts into the present day. And we probably wouldn't have got this album or any of these songs had this lawsuit not occurred. 
only a handful of the songs in that list maybe date back to late Beatles? Well, yeah, it, and even some, so some of the songs on this list are not, it's not even the whole track list of Ram. You also have songs like The Backseat of My Car, which was started That's on Get right, Back. That's right, which did originate, yeah. Another mm-hmm. Day, which originated in, during the Get Back sessions. Um, too mm-hmm. Many People, which made an appearance. So there's just mm-hmm. this, let's say, 50 songs, roughly, from this era that really comprise a lot of his higher quality work. Not all of it, but a good amount of it for the rest of his career. So Yeah, we have anecdotal uh, evidence of other songs from later having been written during this period, like She's My Baby. That's right, that song too. I'm almost speech. I don't even know where to start or where to begin. There's just so much creative material. Where to start? Yeah. Well, let's look at what the other Beatles were doing at the time. I know Beatles fans were, at least many of them, crushed by the breakup of the Beatles. But, you know, when I look back at 1970 and 71 as a Beatles fan from a later vantage point, I just think it must have been a magical time to be a Beatles fan. So the Beatles, after their rather epic true final album, Abbey Road, the public next gets to hear McCartney and Let It Be, which are very stripped down. After that, Plastic Ono Band, very stripped down. And we have a couple of oddball Ringo Starr albums. One uh, kind of an orchestral affair, a bunch of covers, of uh, sort of standards. And Bukuza Blues, uh, which was uh, a lot of blues and country covers. So it was a kind of a strange start to the transition from, you know, the Beatles to be, being four separate guys. <laughs> But in late 70 and then throughout 71, the Beatles really show themselves to be Beatles. All Things Must Pass, that's uh, right at the very end of 1970. It's the first post-Beatles solo album that is a true, you know, Abbey Road-worthy major production. Just an amazing outpouring of songs from George Harrison, two records set, plus a pretty great jam session record as well, so a three-record set. Big productions, Phil Spector productions, wall of sound stuff, lots of doubling instruments, uh, orchestration, the George O'Hara singers, basically George Harrison doing speed manipulation to create the impression of a chorus of singers. Yeah. Yeah. Huge production and one of the best solo Beatles albums uh, ever released, I think. So after that, we get Ram, which we'll be talking about in detail, uh, but it's worth going ahead and saying that Ram is also a big production with orchestrations, a lot of overdubs, elaborate arrangements, a very colorful, complex album, again, Abbey Road worthy. And uh, after that, we get Imagine from John Lennon, perhaps more stripped down than uh, George's or Paul's albums of that time, but it still has orchestrations and wall of sound type production and it's a pretty big sounding album. So three big statements from John, Paul and George there in 1970 and 71. Well, I don't want to be a soul. 
Yeah, all the albums you mentioned, even Ringo's, those are all good albums. They are, yeah, they are. Yeah, those Ringo albums are charming. Both yeah, there's something about Ringo. Something about <laughs> that guy. I think I remember reading somewhere, I don't know exactly where, where John was saying, well, Ringo would have been a star in his own right with or without the Beatles. It's just he had that in him. And I don't think he's wrong. So all of this music is coming out. This lawsuit is happening. Somehow, through all of this, Apple Music is, well, not Apple Music, the Apple Music that everybody sort of knows. Apple Music, their Apple Music, the Beatles' Apple Music is still around. And we find McCartney in the midst of all this in New York City. All the stuff with Denny Sywell and, uh, and Hugh McCracken and Dave Spinoza, that stuff was all done at CBS Studios. And then for the orchestral overdubs that uh, George Martin arranged... Those were recorded at Phil Ramone's A&R Studios, also in New York. Then the final, final overdubs in Los Angeles. Because there is so much material, we have the 12-song album, but we also have singles and other sort of treats that are hanging about that we want to get to. We're going to start with the first song released for the project, and that's Another Day, which was released February 1971 in the UK and the US, the 19th in the UK, and the 22nd in the U.S. This actually was a number two hit in the United Kingdom and a number five hit in the United States. What Denny Sywell called Eleanor Rigby in New York City. Every day she takes a morning bath, she wets her hair, wraps a towel around her as she's heading for the bedroom chair. It's just another day, slipping into stockings. Chris, what, how do you feel about this song? Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorites. It sounds like Ram, which is a, a great thing. It, it is to Ram, I guess, what uh, Penny Lane is to Sgt. Pepper. You know, a little, little taste of what, what that album's going to sound like. So you get the country feeling. But you get country filtered through Paul, which is so much of what Ram is about. So really not country at all. <laughs> but, but, not uh, at all, yeah. Definitely affecting, you know, country. We get this beautiful melody, really beautifully constructed, rather complicated melody. We have a song that's in two time signatures, 4-4 four, four, and 3-4, four, and pretty smoothly moving back and forth between them. Yeah, just a really elegant composition. And how about that bass line? How about that bass line? I, I remember being a kid and hearing that bass line and just trying to comprehend how a person could play that and then sing that song in, that, in both meters with all the changes that are going on. It's yeah. another testament to McCartney's craftsmanship. I mean, the whole record yeah. is actually. Yeah, the bass part is, is wonderful too for its, its willingness to, to hold back. You know, it holds back a lot. But then when it comes with the melodic stuff, boy, does it come on strong. Yeah, 
the bass is compressed and kind of pushes the whole track down. It's some kind of side compression. I'm, I'm not really sure exactly of the technical element. Was yeah, going on there here. would be a that's side chain compression. So probably they had side chained the master bus to the bass track so that the bass would be very prominent and the whole track would turn down a little around the bass. I have the single. I've been listening to the single in preparation for this. So I have the old Apple single and it sounds great. It really does. The issue is that when you take something that's been, you know, fairly compressed like that, that has quirky compression on it like that, and then you run it through the crazy compressors that FM radio use, you start getting bass just pumping and, you know, taking over the whole mix. That's what the problem was. Sounds great on a, on a turntable, on somebody's stereo at home, because there's no extra compression. But yeah, but apparently nothing came of it, right? No. Paul has never said, as far as anybody knows anything negative about that mix and why would he because it's a great performance on a great song again this is one of those instances where i just do not understand what is the problem with this song maybe it was seen at the time as a bit precious a bit cutesy and you know paul was an easy target for cutesiness yeah and critics who want some hardcore rock and roll man they don't have any time for paul writing an elegant little song in multiple key signatures so, you know, that's just critics of the time being, you know, obtuse. <laughs> that's right. Well, time's been good to this one. That's for sure. It's just another day. On the flip side, we have... Oh, woman, oh, why? So sort of carrying on in the tradition of the Beatles. You have a single, a hit, basically a hit single, a top 10, and, you know, both sides of the pond. That is nowhere to be found on the album. It's, you know, really kind of a harrowing little record. It's kind of scary. Woman! you get that gun and then you know um there's some yeah and the, and the actual gun. gunshots yeah they actually recorded the gunshot don't you love those pictures in, in the ram archive yeah of paul with yeah shooting the gun in the studio yeah so there are the actual gunshots and you have those big reverberant slide guitar licks that sound very foreboding Yeah, it, it's quite an interesting, uh, interesting track. And McCartney's vocal on that covers uh, just the main melody, um, makes its way down a couple octaves from a high B, I believe. So it's a good screaming, you know, oh darling-ish, you know, rocking uh, McCartney vocal. Yeah, it goes, I would say, further than that, he's purging a demon almost. I mean, not in a literal sense, but uh, in the middle of this divorce from his three best friends i met her at the bottom of a well that's obviously linda i told her i was trying to break a spell 
You know, I can't get by. My hands mm-hmm. are tied. He's tied up by this lawsuit. He mm-hmm. is dealing with this in the only way he knows how, and that's, like you said, <laughs> these slide guitar riffs all over the neck and just, it almost sounds like it's painful to sing that song. Well, it is. I mean, I've, I've sung along with it a few times. I, <laughs> you can hurt yourself on that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. So from there... Let's just jump right into the top of the album with Too Many People. Papa Ram, A1, Too Many People, Piece of Cake, which sounds a lot like piss off cake, at least <laughs> to me. You took your and broke it A song that Paul admits is about John Lennon. You took your lucky break and broke it in two. Now what can be done for you? I read that originally it was Yoko took your lucky break and broke it in two, and Paul changed it to be you took your lucky break. Uh huh. If you really read these lyrics, they're kind of they're kind of scathing. Yeah, too many people preaching practices, accusing John of hypocrisy, and he says as much in interviews that he found it all to be a bit hypocritical. The response from John on Imagine, How Do You Sleep? Yes, far more scathing and far more personal. Which I found that when Paul said he was working on a song called Quite Well, Thank You, Mm -hmm. I wish that came out. (laughs) Well, Paul probably knew not to escalate with a person like John. (laughs) Yeah. John's always going to have the more scathing response. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you've um, seen the, the the mocking photo of John holding the uh, the pig's ears, a la Ram cover. It's just mean, just a yeah. mean gesture. Yeah.
The thing that I love about this album is that it makes itself known instantly. Really making it known that this is not a Beatles album. This is a Paul McCartney album. Yeah. I mean, let's talk before we get into the rest of the songs a little bit about the commonly advanced idea that this is sort of the last Beatles album. Uh, A lot of people hear this as the last gasp of, you know, Beatle Paul. That's Um, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in terms of the production, in terms of the sound of it, in terms of the the structure of it with the fragments and even the faux country aspect of it does harken back to White Album Beatles. So I, I could see that. To me, McCartney begins to sound very different from the Beatles, starting with Wings Wildlife. And McCartney and Ram both have a lot of the glow of uh, post-Beatles. Yeah, I guess if you collect Another Day, Backseat of My Car, Too Many People, which was started with the Beatles, Every Night, Maybe I'm Amazed, Junk, Maybe mm-hmm. Goodbye. Just There already was sort of like this second half of another Beatles album lying around. That. Well, and I, as I was saying earlier, too, the uh, sort of big production aspect of Ram is also sort of a Beatles signature. And, yes. and let's say so. We have, we have actual George Martin orchestrations on this album. Which songs? You got to remind me which ones those are. I believe it's Long Haired oh, Lady. Uh, Long Haired Lady, Backseat of My Car, uh, Uncle Albert and Admiral Halsey. Those are great. I mean, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. That. Those are great. Those are great. Yeah, great orchestrations. And very Beatles, you know, with in Uncle Albert and Admiral Halsey, you know, with the brass section there. That's very, you know, sort of yellow submarine sounding. Yeah. Big sort of orchestral 2D stuff happening at the end of Long Haired Lady. Also very Hey Jude kind of big orchestral gesture, broad strokes. Yeah. One of my favorite Paul quotes regarding just his orchestrations is that George Martin had always said, you know, Paul had such a vivid imagination. He could do his own orchestrations if he wanted. All he needed was just a couple lessons. And the quote, I mean, this is not an exact quote, but Paul said something like, well, George, why would I do that when I have you? Fair enough. <laughs> you know? And yeah. that's, yeah, it's a, it's a great point. So too many people, this is uh, announcing itself as solo Paul McCartney, the vocalist, an acrobatic vocal that ranges from screeching rock vocals to smooth falsetto, beautiful stuff, great vocals. Yeah. And you know, we've, I think, said previously that McCartney's truly great singing really comes in his solo career, and this is the beginning of that. Yeah, he is unhinged is probably a negative word, but he's definitely finding himself again. He is not enlisting a bunch of super musicians to have one of those, like, Super groups, yeah. He's just starting from scratch, starting all over again, doing what he already did when he was in his teens with the Beatles. And yeah, he is finding his own voice away from the other three. Maybe a perfect transition into the song Three Legs. Three Legs. A Dog Is Here, the working title. I don't know how you feel about this, but when I first heard this record, I did not love this song. But over the years, it's grown to be one of my absolute favorites on the album. (laughs) Not my favorite, but it's up there. Well, when I walk, when I walk
love me still. Yeah, I don't usually go for a sort of straight blues songs, but this, with the strange lyrics and the beautiful production, some guitar work on there, it's, it's just amazing guitar work. And um, yeah. especially the acoustic stuff. Some really great acoustic playing on that. Um, and with the processing on the vocals or telephone sound on the vocal. Great background vocals too, you know. Um, no, it, I think it's a real winner, actually. Three legs, and uh, also perceived, I guess, as a, another shot at John and at the Beatles. Well, yeah, it's the lyric is certainly obscure. The message is it's it's murky. Three legs. Your dog got three legs. My dog, he got one. It's kind of like a I'm Paul. I'm doing my own thing, and the three of you go screw yourselves. My favorite lyric in there is, most flies, they got three legs. Mine got one. <laughs> Who well, knows what that means? Nobody. Maybe not <laughs> even Paul. Most flies, they got three legs. But mine got one. I like the, when I fly above the crowd, he's saying that over and over, when I fly, when I fly, when I fly above the crowd, he's telling the other guys, and this is maybe what John was catching in some of these songs, like, watch, watch this, you watch what I'm going to do. And, Mm. you know, by 76, 77, he was right. It came true. He was flying commercially above these guys. And in terms of cultural relevance, I mean, certainly Wings was a bigger cultural presence than anything John or George were doing by the mid seventies. Yeah. You had mentioned guitar work. I love the, the, the voicings and the second verse when they're kind of mm-hmm. going back and forth. I don't know what yeah. that is, but I love it. Let's hear that right here. So then from there, we go to the third track, Ram On. Paul was on his ukulele, banging away on his ukulele, singing this little song. And I had no idea of this. Paul at this time was carrying a ukulele around in the back of New York cabs on Manhattan streets. And he was just writing songs still, still making up little little tunes. And this is, um, it must be one of those. He's sitting in the studio playing away. And the engineer comes and sets up some microphones and they just recorded this. And this is one of the few tracks on the album that actually is just a Paul McCartney solo recording. Just overdubs and overdubs and overdubs. Big one. Okay. (laughs) 
Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of um, That Would Be Something, and that's more of a, a kind of a stem of a song, really just one verse repeated. I like this one quite a bit more than That Would Be Something, though, because I guess because of, of the overdubs, because of the um, the chord changes, which are haunting. It's a haunting little song. Yeah. Add to that the you know the electric piano with delay and the, the amazing he- heavily reverberated sort of wooden percussion sounds. I've never had a problem with this little tune, and... Mm-hmm. I guess upon this last listen when I was preparing for this, he sang Ram On, you know, the title of the album, but... Yeah, it's a title Ram track on, of sorts. Yeah, yeah. Ram On together is the name Ramon. And when right. he was in the Silver Beatles, or when the Beatles are calling themselves the Silver Beatles, he would introduce himself to girls or whomever. You know, oh, I'm Paul Ramon. It was a stage name. So if you take that, the lyric of the song is sort of like a little prayer to himself, you know, Ramon, give your heart to somebody soon right away. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of more of this self therapy thing that he's going through, which I, it took me what, 15 years to even figure that out. He does a good job of covering his tracks. You know, he, he makes things just obscure enough that you don't get a direct sense of what he's talking about, but you know, he's, he's working through something. Absolutely. I mean, not every line of too many people, refers to John, it seems to me. Not Certainly not every line of Three Legs, as we already demonstrated with just the pure absurdity of some of it, refers to the Beatles or to John. And and yeah, if like we were talking about with McCartney, these three tracks, it's kind of a funny way to open this album, right? It, they're all solid and all strong, and that's what we'll find as we go through the rest of these. But he kind of already takes two zigs or maybe a zig and a zag, or two zigs and a zag, hmm. um, before we get to the fourth track, which is my favorite song in the album, Dear Boy. Renowned for its stacked, double-tracked harmonies. I don't even know how he put those things together. I still, every time I listen to it, I'm just blown away by all those melodies. And he really is exploring just the, his entire range, like low, deep notes and some of these highs and some of the harmonies. And, you know, I I've, I've have mixed feelings about Linda's vocal contributions throughout Wings, but on Ram, he manages to blend his voice with hers and also get the best out of her singing in such a way that she really colors the sound of the album quite favorably so. And Dear Boy is very rich with the sound of Linda's voice. He's always backing her up. Um, he's yeah. always sort of uh, reinforcing her with double tracking, I think. But what a sound they get. You never knew, dear boy, what you had found. I guess you never knew, dear boy, that she was just the cutest thing around. I guess you never knew what you had found, dear boy. I guess you never
Elton John and Michael Jackson commented on how amazing those harmonies are. That's, that's pretty high praise. Yeah, and not just amazingly executed, but really a, a pretty complicated vocal arrangement all around. And I don't know if you read about this, but there's a, a guy who was in the studio with Paul to help him with this, a guy named James William, I believe it's Guercio, who hmm, no. had worked with the Beach Boys, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and was a producer really? of some of Chicago's early albums. I but, did uh, not know that. Yeah, and he was also the founder of Caribou Studios, that's where a lot of Elton's albums were recorded. Billy Joel recorded an album or two there. Rod Stewart, Carole King, Supertramp, some of these major players. But um, Paul and this guy did not get along in the studio at all. It's kind of glossed over. You really have to dig for some of these facts. Yeah, he was brought in to produce, and Paul had this vision. Paul knew exactly what he wanted to do, and the guy kind of stormed out. He's like, I can't do this with you, man. <laughs> It's just wow. another testament to Paul's craftsmanship and, and kind of maybe what it was like to be in the Beatles with Paul. Like, there was a quote somewhere where Ringo's like, well, Paul's very determined. He'll do what it takes to get there. Who cares, though, if you get a product that that's, that's this incredible? I was reading something about Paul's interactions with bandmates recently. The expression, push the river, came up. I had to look up that expression. What does that mean? Uh, it's a pretty obscure expression, but it means that things are going fine anyway, but someone insists on pushing it even harder. Push the river. The river flows anyway. Huh. You don't need to push it. That Paul was very domineering in rehearsals in a way that uh, was sometimes seen as unnecessary. I learned something today. Push the river. I believe that was in the Giuliano book, Blackbird. That's great. I believe it was the author who used the expression, but it was in reference to bandmates getting frustrated with him. Well, frustrated or not, we have Dear Boy. Now, let me ask you something. Does this one count as granny music? Is this in the, you gave me the answer, your mother should know, honey pie tradition at all, or is it something different? Parts of it. Parts, of, I guess, it has flavors of that. It's certainly extremely melodic. But it has, it has a slightly old-timey quality, does it not? Yeah. But it also touches on this. He does mention Noel Coward in an interview, I think in the Ram Archive. Yeah, book. that's the whole dear boy, you know, well, dear boy, you know, oh, uh -huh. dear boy. So I guess to answer your question, yes, but it's not as old Musical vibe. Yeah, it's yeah. not, it's not, uh, shall we dance? It's not pastiche. Yeah. yeah. It's just a classy McCartney beach boy. It's, it's all these different sources through the McCartney filter. One thing I did not know is that the song is directed toward a guy named Mel C, who was Linda's first husband. How did you miss this? How did you not see Linda was all these things? <laughs> and I guess he never told him, which is a good thing because the guy ended up committing suicide. And like Ooh. only then Paul started to talk about it. So wow. it's, it's a, well, you know, it's sad, but it's a nice move on Paul to not push that too far into the public eye. Wow. Yeah, I bummer. knew who the song was directed to, but I didn't realize the part about the suicide. Yeah. Tough I think stuff. Uh, wasn't the song sometimes perceived, uh, misperceived, I guess, as uh, being directed at John? Yeah, it's totally not about, I mean, maybe subconsciously, yeah. but I didn't find anything anywhere. About no, I don't John think Lennon. it is, but I, I think it might have been perceived by some people that way. 
Yeah, I guess you never knew what you missed, dear boy. Yeah, that can sound extremely sarcastic if you want to talk about words amongst friends. But yeah, classic track. I love that one. We're so sorry, Uncle Albert. We're so sorry if we caused you any pain. We're so sorry, Uncle Albert. But there's no one left at home, and I believe I'm gonna rain. Um, and then we go to the the big hit. The or the, big I guess hit. The second hit for the album, for the project, but the big hit of the album, yeah. Uncle yeah. Albert Admiral Halsey. Ryan, can you imagine a time when a song like that was number one on the Billboard charts? No. <laughs> no. I mean, yes, I guess, but it's hard to believe. A song it's of- a very weird song. It is not the slightest bit radio. Fr- I mean, it's catchy and everything. It's, I mean, I, of course we, we love it, but it's just so odd. Even by Beatles standards, it's a pretty odd thing to have on the radio. Well, and just lyrically, it's Paul describes it as... It's an apology from his generation to the older generation. That's the first part. And then the Admiral Halsey part is this sort of authority figure who ought to be ignored. And then you have the hands across the water part, which I think is the best part of the song. Just unbelievable vocal. I, I don't know what to make of it. I, I don't... I, lo- I fall in and out of love with this track. Some years I'm like, ooh, that one is great. Others I'm like, what is this? If you're not feeling indulgent of Paul and you put that one on, you know, could test your patience a bit. It's really, it's almost everything I want in a Paul McCartney track. Uh, I love the mini-suite aspect of it. Not only is it a mini-suite, but it's an incoherent mini-suite, you know, it Parts of it are, what, sort of um, easy rock, and other parts of it are sort of Beatles-esque, Penny Lane-ish, sort of sunshine pop, and uh, other parts of it are faux country. What more do you want? And the words, once you get past the Uncle Albert part, the words are pretty much incoherent, right? Yeah. What in the world is it about? (laughs) You got me. I have no clue. (laughs) And, you know, it's so charming. It's easy for me to see why this was a number one hit. Especially since the Beatles had made it possible for things like this to be hits. I think it's another way in in which it's the last gasp of Beatle Paul. Although I guess you could argue for both Live and Let Die and um, Band on the Run as being, you know, mini-suites that were big hits, so. You're right. You're right. So I don't think think such songs would have been number one hits without uh, the Beatles having uh, having paved the way.
last thing I have on this song is that um, Lennon loved uh, Hugh McCracken was on this on on the guitar, and he ended up on Lennon's Happy Christmas single. And John had said something to him about how, like, I liked your work on Uncle Albert or on Paul's song. You know that was just an audition to get with me, don't you? And Hugh McCracken plays on Double Fantasy, right? I believe so. Pretty sure, yeah. So, unless you have anything else you want to say, shall we go to Smile Away? Yeah, let's talk about Smile Away. Just a fun track. Just a nasty little tune with, which I didn't know, Paul plays eight different overdubbed bass guitar parts on this one. Wow, I did not know that. Eight. He kept pushing it and pushing it until he had that fuzzy, distorted sound. Because I'm like, how, Mm -hmm. how do you get that sound? What pedals he running it through? He's not. They're just kind of blowing out the whole channel and then just yeah. overdubbing and overdubbing. It's awesome. Uh, you know, that makes perfect sense to me. I, you know, one impression I have of Ram overall is that at every moment it sounds big. You know, that's a case of using a, basically a Phil Spector type technique, you know, overdubbing over and over and over to get a massive kind of orchestral sound. Because let's face it, Smile Away, that's a huge sounding track. Yeah, it feels so, it just feels great. Very powerful, yeah. I guess on that demo tape we were discussing, the 29-track demo tape, um, when Paul was demoing Smile Away, he there's like he wanted Jimi Hendrix to be on that record, but he passed away before any of that could have even have come to fruition. Well, it certainly is a heavy guitar sound. Yeah. So this is arguably the third overtly angry song on the album. Yeah. You know, we have we have three angry songs. If I, if you agree with me about this, Too Many People, Three Legs, and now Smile Away. Three fairly angry songs. And uh, we also have Dear Friend, a bit of a taunting song, a mocking song. Yeah. So we got some dark undertones on Ram. Smile Away, you know, this is all about acting. This is all about pretending that things are okay.
I just, I mean, that puts a spin on the whole background vocals, which I didn't even know that he was saying it. He and Linda were saying anything. Learning how to do that, don't know how to do that. Yes, sir, smile away. But they're slurring it a lot. I mean, they're yeah. making it sound sort of like a nonsensical background vocal. Well, that's but like it actually when... adds a little layer of meaning to the song, doesn't it? Well, that wraps up the A side of this record. You flip it over. The first track or the seventh track on the record, all in all, is Heart of the Country. You know, they recorded in New York. All the basic tracks were recorded roughly. And we didn't mention this yet. Still, McCartney's at this pace where he's knocking off a song a day in the studio. Right. Wake up, doing nine hours or eight hours, whatever it is. No drugs, no booze, just we're working. This is a song. I'm going to play it for you guys in the morning. Let's record it. Then we're done. We'll do another one tomorrow, which I still find unbelievable. And they got through 25 that way, right? Yes. 11 of which are on RAM. Ramon being reprised, basically cut up and reprised. So 11 songs on there. That's, that's pretty productive. A song it's a huge. day. So this one is sort of one of the outliers. There's a lot of outliers. There's a lot of information, folks. Um, this one didn't get a lot of overdubs. It is just this sort of country feel. The, the drum set isn't even a real drum set. It's a plastic trash can with a bass drum yeah. pedal taped hi-hats, and then a thin piece of sheet metal as the snare, and um, Denny is playing it with brushes. Boy, and, does uh, it sound great. I look high, I look low, I'm looking everywhere I go, looking for a home in the heart of the country. It's a great little song. And then all the scat, all of that stuff. Yeah, those are great nonsense lyrics. Uh, Let's let Paul sing it. He sort of gets knocked for being a bad lyricist, but there's a lot of little lines on this record like, where the holy people grow, heart of the country. That's insightful. That's an insightful Uh little bit. Yeah. Smell the grass in the meadow. And I like that emphasis on meadow. Yeah. And he's definitely talking probably about marijuana grass, not just regular grass. (laughs) There's a lot of double entendre going on here. And maybe you're not even aware of it. Maybe he's not even aware of it, but I see it. I read through it. Another track with some uh, really wonderful guitar work. 
Uh, I assume by uh, is it Humor Kraken on that one? I think uh, it let me probably just pull that is up right here. Yeah, Hugh. Uh-huh. Yeah, some really good acoustic guitar work on that song. Moon Delight. Whoa, now. This one, um, some sources put the recording of this in October of 70, where the recording began. I did some digging, and I don't think there's any possible way that that could possibly be going on. It looks more like it was November 5th, 70, for the original recording. uh, Is it possible he played it in that room as a sound check or something, as a room check? Could have been, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because I think Dave Spinoza mentions that he remembers playing it with Paul, but he's sure he didn't record it. That's right. And yeah. just from the session notes, eleven three seventy would have been Oh Woman, Oh Why, right? Then it would have been Monkberry Moon Delight on eleven five instead of ten five, where it's sort of listed. Then it would have been Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey, and then 14, Too Many People. So the numbers I'm referring to are sort of the track orders in which these were recorded. If mm-hmm. you think about that, Woman O.Y. and then Monkberry Moon Delight, which on this track, everywhere I no. read, 90 takes for that vocal. Yeah. Well, oh, Woman O.Y. and Monkberry Moon Delight, those are the, the vocal you know, shredders. Uh, you know? Yeah. So 90, tra- 90 takes to get the perfect uh, raspy voice. It like oh woman oh why this one sounds like it just hurts like there's blood in his throat at the end of it. Yeah, it's a tough yeah. one to even sing along with. It's the right choice, you know, for a vocal approach uh, since it's a song uh, about anxiety, really, right? Yeah. has a surreal quality um, people suggest it might be a, a kind of an acid you know remembrance um, he wasn't I don't think he was doing anything like that uh, at the time but he did some so it might be a kind of a bad trip uh, remembrance yeah um, or just an expression of his his own anxiety uh, which was considerable at the time uh, as we've discussed with uh, the breakup of the Beatles but the song has a, a very dark very negative tone to it anxious yeah the p- piano up my nose talking about sinews, nerves, and veins. 
It's rattle of rats. Yeah. Not in my stomach. Ugh. Gazed but... at that terrible sight. Yeah. <laughs> Sore was I from a crack from the enemy's hose. This, these are, you know, these That's are pretty, a pretty angsty, good angsty lyrics. Yeah. That's pretty good. But our, our point is that, yeah, the, the lyrics have a, have a tone of, of intense anxiety and uh, foreboding. But with an absolutely incredible performance, the track is fun. Now, this one also in the background vocals has this, uh, uh, some of the Linda vocals on this album, and, and we'll get to that in a big way in, in, a, in a few minutes, but uh, some of the Linda vocals um, on this album have this kind of taunting quality. Um, yeah. Almost bitchy, if I could say that, you know. You can. And uh, the background vocals on uh, Monkberry Moon Delight, and I think that's his daughter there as well, doubling on that. Yes. Um, sound, sound taunting and sort of like nanny nanny boo boo, you know. All right, so that brings us to Eat at Home. A little uh, rockabilly track. Believe it or not, released as a single, but not in the U.S. or in the U.K. I do believe it, and I would imagine it would be a successful single. It's such a catchy song. to number 15 in Italy and the B-side was Smile Away went to 15 in Italy um, and it did actually get some US radio airplay but uh, just a straightforward tune not much lyrically I did find it interesting Paul admits that it's a bit of like a sexually provocative song Hmm. which is almost hard to believe sure well you know it's part of the theme of domesticity on this album and in a way, it's it's kind of a statement song. Paul's withdrawing from public life, you know, and preferring to enjoy his family. And yeah, eating and having sex with his wife. Why not? Well, I mean, do I dare even say this on a Paul McCartney podcast? But is he talking about, you know, eating in bed in a different sort of way? Like, probably, maybe. probably it's a mixed, mixed meaning there. Yeah. I think he's also talking about eating food. Yeah, I agree. I actually yeah. agree. <laughs> and... I'm not making that to be lewd, like, please, everybody listening, like, I'm not trying to, like, be sexually perverse or provocative. It's just, it's more a testament. Like, this is what Paul does with words, whether he knows it or not. And I think he knows it way more often than he lets on, especially from how yeah. he gives a lot of his interviews. He, he likes can be a little these, coy. Yeah. yeah, he likes these little double entendres, these little flips of the script. And it's just fun when you find them. You're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But he sneaks yeah. them past you. Well, one thing about Eat at Home that I that I really admire is, and it's something I admire about the whole album, is that it plays at being rockabilly, but it, there's more going on than that. For, well, first of all, the tune is just, it's a Beatles, you know, quality melody. Yeah. Um, like rock melody.
But then there are, you know, there's little, the little spots with the false, with the reverberated falsetto, where you get the somewhat more sophisticated chord changes, and the melody at that point just does dramatic acrobatic things, you know. So it's one of those deceptively simple songs. It's not really a straight, straight rockabilly. No. Know? sound on the guitar solo what a beautiful guitar amazing sound. yeah it's very yeah. good and i think that's actually paul i don't know it sounds like paul it sounds like his style it reminds me a bit of the solo on maybe i'm amazed yeah that kind of aggressive jagged lead guitar tone even similar melodically yeah Yeah, it's worth making a, a quick point here. I believe it was Dave Spinoza, the guitarist who worked on only only a few tracks early on in the sessions, uh, who said that working with Paul on Ram, that this was basically, he was making McCartney again, and he just had some people playing some instruments, that he, he pretty much dictated the parts. Now, I, I don't know how, you know, I can't imagine that all of Denny Sywell's drumming was really dictated by Paul, but... Spinoza made it sound as if they didn't have a ton of freedom, and really, Paul was composing these arrangements quite meticulously. I mention that because that's a very rehearsed-sounding guitar solo there on Eat at Home. Yeah, it is. And that's the same thing as Hello, Goodbye, pulling the lead guitar lines out, or the call-and-answer response and Hey Jude. It's like, yeah, Paul knows what he wants, and he's going to go and get it. So that brings us to Long-Haired Lady, one of the major tracks on the album. Effectively another two-song combination situation, wouldn't you say? Maybe even three distinct sections, because we have that whole intro. And here's the return of the taunting (laughs) Linda, this time really laying it on thick with the... uh, do you love me like you know you ought to do part and even does it with a sort of a funny is that some sort of a funny new york accent the way you ought to do yeah so it seems to be berating the speaker of the song paul <laughs> <laughs> or is this the only thing you want me for i guess referring to her long hair and paul returns with this very um poignant submissive tone yeah well i've you know i've been meaning to well, talk to you about it <laughs> Sweet. 
it's yeah. fun. It's very funny. And you're talking about the lyrics. I and I just found this out. Win or lose it, winter, summer, love is long. Yes. And that's another great line. Now, I, I misheard that lyric for years. I thought it was win or lose it, winter's over, love is long, which yeah. I think is a better lyric, actually. <laughs> well, but okay. okay. Winter, summer, love is long. I, there was I read in the archive book that um, when Paul was listening back to the mix, when he heard the blend, as you mentioned, of Linda and his harmonies, he actually was like, weeping in the studio. He was so happy. He just to mm. hear this track back to him, and it does. It still does pack that emotional wall up every time you hear it. Uh, long one too, six oh five. Yeah, not, not quite as yeah, long as really... Hey Jude, but. Long. Yeah, a pretty epic track with an orchestration by George Martin. The uh, verse section of this song, I think, is one of Paul's most beautiful melodies. It's just, you know, Paul as the effortless melodist. And the singing there as well, that sort of sweet voice that he's using. This is some of my favorite, uh, some of my favorite Paul McCartney singing and melody writing. Who's the lady that makes that brief occasional laughter? She's the lady who wears those flashing eyes. delicate and the guitars good good lyrics too by the way in that section This one then slides back into Ram On. Ram On, which was track three on the flip side. This is, this is the end of the same recording that was just edited and placed in this position. By Eric the Norwegian Longberg. There you go. The guy that Paul just let sequence and mix the whole thing. Which is really hard to believe. We're talking about Paul as this, this craftsman, this guy that knows what he wants. He's going to get it. He's going to say say or do whatever it takes to get there. And then he just hands all these, what, what did we say, 25 songs? Here you go. Mm-hmm. Make Ram out of this. And he yeah. did. And yeah. then Paul still loves it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I did that. And it worked out okay. 
Yeah, pretty remarkable to think of a person who's famously a control freak handing over that much control, actually sequencing the tracks. A lot of what's beautiful about RAM are, are those transitions between the tracks, the crossfades between tracks and everything being sort of connected. And apparently uh, Eric the Norwegian took care of that. So Ramon is, uh, yeah, it's a reprise from side one, and it's, um, as you say, the end uh, of an original take. It has a, a quote at the end of it. Uh, yeah. Who's that coming around that corner? Just as the song's fading out, who's that coming around that corner? All of us who love McCartney know, of course, that very beginning of Red Rose Speedway uh, begins with that melodic figure. And turns out that both of those are quotes from a song called Great Day, written in 1970 and finally recorded in its entirety on Flaming Pie in 97. So there's a little uh, legacy attached to this tiny quote at the end of Ram On. Just a huge amount of creative output from this guy. He couldn't even keep track of the melodies and choruses that he had flying around. And, uh... <laughs> so here, why, why don't we play the three versions of that really quickly? So from there, the backseat of my car, which first poked its head up um, in 69 during the Get Back sessions, you can see Paul playing it on the piano, playing some of the melody. Some of it is, some of it exists, some of it is still yet to be finished. But this is another tune with a George Martin orchestral score on it. It's of interest to note that around, was it 340, 345, Paul hits this high note which I, you know, I banged out on the piano. It's an E, it's an e flat. You know, hmm. that, ah, ah. Well, oh, that's wow. not the note, but an E flat. That's getting up into Satara territory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. I don't, it's, it's kind of like the, the, when he sings hands, Across the Water in, on Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey. Just mm -hmm. like that's the same sort of high note, just 
with such power and force mm-hmm. and you try and, to sing yeah. along and you're like, oh, I can hit that. No, no problem. And then you cannot <laughs> hit it and sustain it so well like that. Yeah. But fun lyrics on this one. Another just straight up song about, you know, sort of teenage love, some sexual nature in there, looking for yeah. a ride in and out of town and we're I, just busy think- riding. Like Eat at Home, there's some relevance to Paul's situation here because the lyrics come off as defiant. You know, we believe that we can't be wrong. There's this sort of defiance of the parents, you know, um, in the sort of teenage drama there. And the idea that they're going to go off together, damn the consequences. So I think it's this sort of uh, this Paul and Linda against the world subtext. So Backseat of My Car has also a couple of distinct sections. Yeah, it's, it's certainly not a basic song structure. Speed along the highway Honey, I want it my way But listen to her daddy's song Don't stay out too long We're just busy hiding Sitting in the backseat of my We get these up-tempo sections, and McCartney's doing something that has always intrigued me. He's saying, what? Hep gone try to lug a lug? Is that what he's saying? Is he saying hep gone drive to lug a lug, or hep gone try to lug a lug? He's doing some kind of country guy, you know, tobacco auctioneer thing in, yeah. <laughs> in the right channel, I think. And it's uh, it's fascinating. Well, you know, you've, you've got the country rock element going throughout the entire album. And this is not really a country rock song. But here he comes with this country, this oddball <laughs> country nonsense lyric. Yeah. Hep on try to run to love or. Is that I what it know. is? I Sounds like lug a lug. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> this is another one of those things where because so, there's so many of those little moments on this album. You don't know if he's saying a line or not. And then yeah. when you pull open the liner notes or the lyrics on an official release, and there are actually lyrics, like, wow. Yeah. Well, in that case, I, I didn't see an, an official lyric printed or I would have I would have mentioned it. No, I think it's he's just doing a nonsense thing there, a kind of yeah. vaguely country-sounding nonsense thing inserted into an otherwise kind of a urban-sounding song. Sitting in the backseat of my car This album, upon one recent listen, psychedelic country rock went through my mind. 
This is some kind of hallucinogenic vision of country rock, you know, mixed with Beatles-esque material. It's it's pretty strange brew, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's an appropriate way to label this. I wouldn't even know where to begin. I mean, is it pop rock? Is it country? Is it Beatles rock? Is it... Um, it's not country. Yeah, it's, it's just a strange amalgam. It's Paul having lived in London... For all these years, and now living in the middle of nowhere in Scotland on a farm, on like a dilapidated farm at that. Mm. He hadn't, he's still building it out. There's rebuilding his whole life. So all these different inputs. I remember reading somewhere, I believe it was also in the Miles book, where Paul was talking about how he always has his antenna out, just taking in to then repurpose for songs or for art. And I think that is very apparent in the output of what he has here. It's an amalgamation of many different things. It's hard to place because who has been in this position before? Having to sue your three best friends to get out of the biggest rock and roll band in the world, raising a family, traveling between countries, and then also recording one of your first solo albums? That's tough. Well, the album goes out with a bang. Uh, the end of Backseat of My Car um, may be the high point of the album. I think I'm going to play the end of the track uh, right now. Go for it. That concludes part one of two on RAM. Please be sure to check out part two in our next episode. Our theme music is Martha, My Dear by John Lennon and Paul McCartney realized by Ryan Brady.